Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Kansas City Royals 5, the Cleveland Guardians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and it is nice to be back talking baseball with you again. If you didn't notice, if you didn't listen to the last episode, uh, I had to step away for a little bit there. I uh, had to deal with some family things and, uh, you know, had to put baseball in the back seat for a little bit. But, uh, you know, I told you I needed a break coming out of that all-star break, and I took a little bit longer of a break than I thought I was going to take. But everything is good, uh, all back to normal, back home and uh, on the mic talking to you about baseball. And it just happens that we're going to pick up with this Kansas City game. So I got a few thoughts on the Philly series, and we're going to talk about that. And then we'll get into this game from tonight. Uh, or if you're listening in the morning, because, hey, this is still Cleveland Baseball Mornings, uh, the game from yesterday. And uh, we'll do, you know, we'll do somewhat of our normal show. And then uh, hopefully we'll get back into the rhythm and uh, be back to our normal routine here moving forward. So thank you again to the morning people. By the way, the morning people that reached out via email, the morning people that reached out via Twitter. I, honestly, I got some really nice messages, people checking in on me. Um, you know, and I... It, I didn't expect that. I, I didn't. You know, it's it's nice to know that even though we have this weird relationship, right? I'm just this random guy that does a podcast in your podcast feed that, uh, you know, there is still a sense of community amongst us, amongst the, you know, I call you the morning people, uh, but, you know, I really appreciate it. You're, you're my baseball friends. And, uh, you know, I appreciate those of you who took the time to email and tweet and check in. See how, see what was going on. See how I was doing. Uh, those of you who listened to that last episode, that short episode, that update, and uh, responded after that, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, the family is doing good. Everything, everything is good. Um, all right, so let's get into baseball here. And uh, like I said, I had some thoughts on the Philly series. I, I thought about doing an episode uh, yesterday to kind of wrap up that Philly series and didn't get to do it. So. Um, just real quickly moving through those games. The, f- the first thing is uh, we we have huge crowds down on Progressive Field, and we talk about this all the time on the show. How many times have we had big crowds show up to Progressive Field and the Guardians or the Indians before them just absolutely blow it, just absolutely have a terrible series, and it felt like every time the city got up for a series, the team wasn't there. Well, they sell out Friday night, they sell out Saturday night, they have 30,000 plus there on Sunday, and the team did show up, right? We have huge wins on Friday and Saturday, very, very different ballgames, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we lose Sunday, but we at least put on a show, we take it to extra innings, Um, so it was just nice to see the ballpark jam-packed. The city of Cleveland ready for something exciting, and the team actually deliver. Like those two things match up. Uh, it's really, really wonderful to see. Now, as far as the actual baseball goes, uh, again, they did give you. It was one heck of a series. Like it was, it was some good games. And uh, I know that Texas series left a really bad taste in everyone's mouth uh, coming out of the All Star break. And we got our butts kicked by Texas. There's no two ways about it. But uh, you know, we have won two out of the first three series coming out of the All Star break. I, I look. I know we we slipped into second place. We gave up. You know, the lead in the division. 
We're, we're still struggling around that 500 mark, but uh, we have won two out of three series. Uh, you know, obviously we lose this game uh, to Kansas City tonight, but uh, it, it's hard. It's, it's see, it's hard to get excited about winning series. We always say just win the series, right? Just keep winning series. You'll be okay in the end. We've won two out of three series coming out of the all-star break but do we feel okay we're like we're two games under 500 now we're falling back in the division it just it just doesn't feel like it this uh in this 2023 season like it just doesn't feel like things are going to be all right but uh we persevere we move on uh we focus on the game because that's uh that's all we can do that's all we can do as fans so uh getting into some game specifics here game one the friday night game where the Guardians go on to win six to five, the thing about this game that you know really stuck with me uh, was Gavin Williams in his fastball, and it just it just didn't feel like he's got such an electric fastball, right? Uh, the velocity wasn't quite as high as we we're used to seeing him. He was actually down a one point two miles per hour off his season average. Um, he only maxed out at ninety six point two. But uh, he, he, you know, and after the game, we found out that he might have been developing a blister on one of his, you know, fingers on his pitching hand, and that that might have contributed to things. Uh, but it just the location on the fastball didn't it feel like there just there wasn't that accuracy, there wasn't that uh, command of the fastball. And if you look at the illustrator, he missed with a ton of fastballs, kind of up and away. Uh, or up into his uh, uh, to his arm side. I should, actually, so not up and away. Uh, up into the arm side of the plate for the big righty. I just couldn't. And there is a huge grouping of them down the middle of the plate. It's like all he could do was throw them down the middle of the plate or miss high and high and uh, to the left from the catcher's view uh, with that fastball. And more times than not, when it looked like it was going to be a fastball count. I just kept seeing him miss high or miss wide with it. And, uh, yeah, I, getting command on that fastball is going to be a big uh, deal for him. And we'll see in game two of this series on Saturday night how much having command of his fastball was huge for Tanner Bybee and how successful he was once he got control of that fastball. So, uh, uh, you know, Gavin Williams threw the fastball 50 times. 62% of his pitches were the forcing fastball. On 22 swings, they only have three whiffs they only have seven called strikes nine foul balls they put it in play 10 times uh with an average exit velocity of 96.5 so uh they they were laying off those pitches off the plate the only swung outside the zone on his fastball 10 percent of the time 10 percent o swing percentage with a 100% contact rate. So even when they did expand out of the strike zone, they were going to make contact with it. Like that's That shows you how ineffective his fastball was. He wasn't fooling anybody. He wasn't hitting the edges. He was either missing or putting it down the middle of the plate. Uh, so uh, definitely, uh, you know, something you would expect from a rookie pitcher, but we're in a situation where we're relying so heavily on rookie pitchers that we expect some kind of production out of him. You know, we we do, I don't expect him to have Shane Bieber's command of the fastball, right? Pinpoint accuracy with his fastball. But 
we expect a little better than this. You're, he's going to... Not that we expect. He's going to need better than this to compete at the major league level. He's going to. So hopefully it was the blister. I mean, literally, hopefully it was the blister that was affecting his command, affecting his velocity a little bit. That does make a lot of sense. But you hate to blame things like this on injury. It's still something that Gavin Williams is going to have to work on. Uh, if he wants to be successful, uh, the, the natural raw stuff is only going to take you so far at this level. Now, with that being said, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, a huge day for Jose Ramirez going four for five, really the engine driving the offense, although everybody really finds a way to contribute. And, you know, it was nice to see them score in multiple innings and to continue to pile on, to continue to score. And it would be, you know, something that they uh, they wouldn't be able to do uh, in the uh, in the Sunday finale, right? They score in the first three innings, and then they go quiet until the ninth. They weren't able to kind of keep that going. So they have a 3-1 lead uh, in that uh, Sunday finale, and eventually the Phillies are able to come back on their bullpen game. Kind of combining thoughts here with Sunday's game, but it's a storyline that weaves itself throughout the weekend. Uh for this team to be successful, right, they have to find ways to scratch one, scratch two across every inning. Uh, they don't have that threat of, you know, a big three-run home run waiting for them late in a game. So they've got to continue uh, to find ways to make these things count and make get some runs across in multiple innings if that's the way they got to do it. And so they do that in this uh, in this Friday game, right? They get they score in four different innings. They put up six runs, and uh, luckily, luckily the bullpen was able to hang on. Trevor Steffen, we see the good Trevor Steffen here, an inning and two thirds, no hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts, and Classe shuts the door in the ninth inning. So, I mean, the, the Phillies made it close. They needed every one of those six runs to hang on. Uh, one note offensively here, you know, there's a moment in this game where uh, Jose Ramirez lines out down the third base line. You know, I made the joke on Twitter, uh, but the third baseman uh, for the Phillies, uh, who is that third base? Uh, Alex Alec Bohm. How tall? Let's see how tall he actually is. I can make the joke, but why not? Let's just look it up and see how tall Bohm actually is. But uh, a monster there at third base, six foot five at third base and uh, uh, Ramirez hit one that definitely definitely would have been extra bases down the third base line but Bohm is able to snag it it had a 490 expected batting average and definitely would have driven in some runs uh, instead it's Naylor who gets the RBI and he hits a dribbler up the middle at 79.8 mile per hour exit velocity at a minus one degree launch angle he hits a bouncer up the middle, and it's just, it took such a, it was such a lazy ball up the middle, and it just, it took a weird bounce, and the second baseman for the Philly Stott just kind of hits off the heel of his glove, and he can't make the play, and so his little dribbler up the middle at a 150 expected batting average turns into an RBI hit, and uh, that's just... I was talking to my buddy about this, and like that, that so encapsulates the game of baseball perfectly. Like, you could be just the 
biggest baseball nerd, the biggest stat nerd. Understand? Think you understand this game so perfectly. Know the zips proje- projections and the steamer projections and have all this data. And an 82.6 mile per hour line drive at an 11 degree launch angle with a 490 expected batting average is going to get caught. And a dribbler up the middle at 79.8 at a 150 expected batting average is going to go for a hit. And you realize you you can't outthink this game. That you can't man, you can't project this game. It's so hard cuz things like this are going to happen. And the baseball gods or the bat bip gods or whatever whatever joke I want to make, they have so much more control over this game than you think. So Yes, the best you can do is go up there and put a good swing on it, and and you know work the at bat and uh, put one in play. Because I hit it hard somewhere. Because uh, I guess you don't have to hit it hard somewhere if you're Josh Naylor in this situation. But uh, you know you just focus on what you can control because so much of this is out of your control, right? The game of baseball, so much of it is out of your control. Uh, that's what makes it such a challenging game. So it's just these two at bats back to back on Friday were like the perfect example of this. Uh, moving into Saturday's game, uh, Tanner Bybee and Zach Wheeler go on an absolute pitching duel. Both go seven innings pitched. Uh, both have one walk and eight strikeouts. Both throw over a hundred pitches. Wheeler is only hard hit five times. Bybee is only hard hit five times. Bybee, although only gives up two hits, Wheeler gives up five. And Wheeler also gives up, again, no matter how hard you try to overthink this game, here's what's going to happen. Jose Ramirez is going to pop a ball up behind second base. Your second baseman and your center fielder and your right fielder are going to all converge on each other and all bail on the last second. So a ball at a 59-degree launch angle with a 0-2-0 expected batting average is going to fall for an RBI hit and be the only run of the game. Are you kidding me? That's how this game goes down? It's insanity. So again, like whatever you think you know about this game, whatever you think you can predict about this game, you can't predict that. You You can't explain that away. There's no explaining that. That is the baseball god speaking. And uh, right there. And uh, the one thing you can control, though, is uh, is your pitching. And Cleveland's pitching did their job, and they made one run stand up for a victory. De Los Santos comes in and holds down the eighth inning, and Classe shuts things down again back-to-back nights uh, in the uh, ninth inning for the save. And the Guardian, the sellout crowd, goes home happy. Uh, they had to sit through quite the pitcher's duel to get there, but they uh, they go home happy. And Bybee, so much better uh, with his fastball uh, than Gavin Williams the day before. Now, he only throws it 42% of the time, mixes in plenty of sliders and change-ups and curveballs, but attacks the strike zone. Uh, has a 40% whiff rate on his fastball, uh, six whiffs on 15 swings. They only put four in play. Uh, the O swing, the outside-the-zone swing, was at 30% with an O contact percentage of 50%. Remember, Gavin Williams was at 10% outside the zone swinging with a 100% contact rate. So big difference there for Bybee. Uh, 
But it was working on all his pitches. I can't just say it was the fastball. It was working on all his pitches. I mean, he had eight whiffs on his slider, uh, four more on the changeup and the curveball. It's a 40% whiff rate total on the day for Bybee. Adding 18 called strikes, it's a 39% CSW. Elite stuff. His velocity was there. Average 95.5, maxed out at 97.3 with that fastball. Um, and if you look at the illustrator, just pounding, just pounding the strike zone. Uh, so a huge performance. I, you know, at the beginning of the season, I said something about Bybee being the ace, possible ace of the staff. I kind of, I kind of wavered on that thought a little bit there in the middle of the season. I think we're kind of back to it. I, I think at this point, you got to say he's, he's kind of, I mean, if you had a game one, if you had a game one in a playoff series, who who are you and all the healthy pitchers available? It would have to be Bybee starting game one, right? Probably Savali game two, Gavin Williams game three, Logan Allen a game four, right? That's kind of that's kind of how I would stack them up. Uh, you know, that'd be my power ranking of Cleveland starting pitching right now. Um, so moving into the uh, into the Sunday finale, bullpen games are just brutal. And Curry does a good job of bouncing back from a terrible, what looked like could have been a terrible first inning and gives you three solid innings as an opener. I actually, honest to God, I wish they would kind of stretch Curry out a little more. At this point, you with, with all the injuries and uh, Bieber now moving to the 60-day IL, uh, McKenzie not coming back anytime soon. I, do you want to see Plesak come back? Do you want to see Quantrill come back? Or are you a little curious to see Xavier Curry get stretched out maybe to five innings and see how that works? But eventually, it's Sam Henches is the one that falls apart for the Guardians. Tim Heron, uh well, Heron's an extra innings, but uh, he also did not have a good game. Uh, so yeah, the Guardians bullpen just can't hold it. They end up taking a uh, a, a four to three lead, and then David Fry, David Fry in the ninth inning, and it's it's brutal in the ninth inning because it should have been a walk off. Uh, Josh Bell singles. Miles Straw goes into pinch run for him. Straw has second base stolen. He has an amazing jump, but Jimenez swings at the pitch and fouls it off. And God, it kills me when that happens. And I wonder if it's just something in the Guardians system where they tell the hitters, like it has to be an instructional thing because there's no way Jimenez doesn't see the jump. Straw gets. I know it's kind of behind them as the lefty hitter. Maybe a righty sees this and doesn't swing. And a lefty just cannot see this in their peripheral. But the jump that he gets, the straw gets, he was definitely had second base stolen. Jimenez fouls the ball off and then ends up grounding into a double play. Then Fry comes up and hits the solo home run. And I, I kind of want to do a deep dive on David Fry. I mean, he hits at 101.1, 32 degree launch angle. Uh, home 368 hits the railings, I believe, out there above the wall in left field. Would have been a homer in 24 out of 30 ballparks, and it ties up the game in the ninth inning. And then uh, they got to go to Heron in the uh, tenth, and he absolutely uh, falls apart. Uh, it's a disaster, him and Trevor Steffen. And it's a shame because Heron was actually good in the ninth inning. 
Uh, he actually shuts them down one, two, three in the ninth inning. Strikeout, strikeout, ground out. Uh, and then has to stay in there because it's a bullpen day. Has to stay in there and pitch the tenth, and it turns into a disaster with him and Stefan. So, uh, you know, Philly runs away with it. The Guardians actually threaten in the uh, bottom of the tenth. A walk to Naylor, a single from Quan, a walk to Freeman. And then, for, oh God, it's all set up for Ramirez and Naylor, and they can't get it done. And it puts it on the shoulders of Miles Straw. And how many freaking times is Miles Straw going to come up with the game on the line? Now, in, in this situation, Ramirez and Naylor had their opportunities. Ramirez flies out, uh, not deep. Naylor pops out. And now it's left to Miles Straw. And I am so sick, the, sick of watching Miles Straw come up in these high leverage situations at the end of the game. So many times. And he cannot get it done here. He grounds out to end the game. In in then in this one. In this one, uh, he comes up again uh, in this Kansas City game. In this Monday night game. Let's jump ahead to this one. Because, you know, as much as the Guardians threat in there in the bottom of the 10th, it was a giant mountain to overcome uh, with how many runs they'd given up to the Phillies in the top of the 10th. Four runs to overcome in extra innings is a mountain. So we come to this one, and once again, Miles Straw is up in the ninth inning with the game on the line, and I know he already had an RBI hit, but frankly, he has not had that many RBIs. I looked it up. He had, uh, he did have seven RBIs in the month of April. An okay April. But uh, for the... uh, for the month of May, I believe it was three RBIs for the month of May. That's it. That's it. Three RBIs for the month. Then, uh, coming into uh, June, he only manages two RBIs. Well, July has been a little bit better. He has managed seven RBIs, including the two in tonight's game. So he's finally gotten a little bit better, but he hadn't had an RBI since July 18th. I just, this is the absolute last hitter you want up with men on and the game on the line. The absolute last. And it just keeps finding him. It's unbelievable how much the game finds Miles Straw and puts him up in these situations. Uh, So once again, he's up. Uh, Jimenez is on. Uh, Fry lines out. Brennan singles. And it brings Straw up. He's the winning run at the plate. They don't pinch hit for him. They don't bring anyone off the bench. He actually puts a good swing on it. Hits it 98.6. Lines out to deep center field. It had a 340 expected batting average. What that's worth. But it was a line out to center field. And he can't get the job done. And then Quan grounds out to first base. You know, you never get to see the replays on these things. It's it's not a bad swing. He just hits it right at the first baseman. And you, you never get to see the angle... Of like what that hit would what that hit looked like like did, was there a hole there if he had hit it just a tiny bit left or a tiny bit right would it have gone for a base hit like how how close to a base hit were we talking we never get to see that replay but it doesn't matter he grounds out to first base to end things so um, getting into the storyline of this Kansas City game uh, you know the big storyline for me is. Ryan Yarbrough, unbelievable. He matches his performance from his two starts ago when he beat us in Kansas City. 
Six innings pitch, both games. Six hits, both games. One run, both games. He had more strikeouts last time. Uh, one strikeout in this one. Only hard hit six times. Something about this soft tossing lefty we cannot do anything with. And it it wasn't. It was. It seemed like it, it seemed like everybody was over swinging a little bit, right? Trying to do too much with it. Ahmed Rosario was the only one who knew what to do with this guy, which was to actually kind of swing nice and easy. And he ends up with three base hits because of it. No, it's like a guy you watch him out there on the on the golf tee, and he's trying to crush the damn thing, and he can barely hit the ball. And it's the person that steps up there and swings nice and easy and free, and they're firing missiles down the fairway all day, right? Well, that's what the Guardians hitters were tonight. Ahmed Rosario was swinging nice and easy. Nobody else could figure out the timing. Guys, even when guys were trying to slow it down, they were just fouling it off, like just taking these bad swings. I watched Bell do it. I watched Straw do it. These just like, I cannot, uh, Jimenez do it. The I cannot figure out this timing. Please let me get the bat on the ball kind of swings. So uh, Yarborough definitely is our kryptonite. And his, uh, his very slow, very, very slow uh, curveball, which he threw 30 times, mixes in the uh, the sinker and the cutter effectively, and then the changeup he threw 20 times. So he threw all his pitches pretty evenly. Um, you know, it's not a lot of swing and miss on that curveball. Only three whiffs, so we're making contact with it, but we fouled it off eight times. And when we did put it in play, it was only at an average exit velocity of 83.2. So Yarborough was all over it. On the other side of things, Logan Allen... He pitched well in stretches and he got in trouble. That that's what Logan Allen's night was. It wasn't all good. It wasn't all bad. He goes seven innings, which thank God because we all know the bullpen was spent. They had to make a move. They sent Heron down. They bring Daniel Norris up. They had to move Bieber to the sixty-day IL because of it to get Norris on the roster because they needed an arm, someone who could go multiple innings. Norris had started a bunch of games down in AAA. He was ready to go multiple innings. He gives him two innings, throws 32 pitches. Actually, had two very nice innings to end this game. Uh, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts uh, on 32 pitches. Doesn't give up a hard hit ball. Um, Logan Allen, yeah. So he gets in trouble in the second, ends up giving up multiple hits in a row, and they score two runs off him. But then he really settles down until the sixth inning, and Bobby Witt Jr. gets on. And I don't know... They, they had to assume that Bobby Witt was going. They were very worried about him at first base. And he ends up, you know, in Jimenez, uh, Chris Jimenez, who was on the uh, call with Underwood, he was filling in. Uh, he kind of talked about this. Like, yeah, he looked like Logan Allen kind of lost his concentration, was too worried about the runner. And he ends up serving up, I believe it was a cutter, to Salvador Perez. That he ends up hitting out for a home run. So, uh, yeah, you lost his concentration to a veteran. Oh, it was a four-seam fastball. Excuse me, a four-seam fastball. And he uh, threw a fastball down and into the veteran. And he smokes it at 108.6 miles per hour, 23-degree launch angle, over the wall in left field. And, you know, every big hit that Allen gave up tonight was actually pitches that were down. Usually we see this with pitches that are up, right? 
a fastball that's up middle of the plate or out over the plate. Uh, this was a fastball. It was still down and in, but Perez, man, he went down and drove it. Uh, Olivari, uh, Mikhail Garcia uh, also hit a homer on a fastball that was down, and he turned down and hit it out to right field, a missile at 102.1. Uh, and Oliveris and Bobby Witt Jr. both hit uh, doubles off of uh, off-speed stuff. Bobby Witt's was a changeup. Oliveris was a sweeper. Pitches that were down. Uh, you know, they were down below the belt, maybe at the thigh. So uh, I give credit to the Kansas City hitters for going down and getting pitches uh, and driving them there. But the only thing that was working for Logan Allen tonight is that he did go seven innings, and he gave us some... Uh, you know, serious relief to the bullpen. Uh, doesn't have a high whiff rate, only a 16% whiff rate. Did have 19 called strikes, so was attacking and pounding the strike zone. It actually makes a CSW pretty manageable, a 31% CSW. But they put a ton of balls in play off them, uh, 24 balls in play. And, uh, yeah, they uh, they knew he was going to be aggressive in the strike zone, and they they came out swinging. Uh, let's see how many swings, Four, oh, 44 swings. That's actually lower than I thought it was going to be. Um, so yeah, so he gets into trouble, uh, gives up runs in multiple innings. The guardians do manage to fight back a little bit here. Like I said, Ahmed Rosario was doing okay. Once they get into the bullpen and get Yarborough out of the game, they score two runs off of Jose. Uh, you know what? I was not watching at that part of the game. I don't know how to say this gentleman's last name. I'm going to guess Kuas. Uh, so they are able to score two runs off him. Somehow, Miles Straw figures out how to get a ball up the middle and get his first RBIs in like a week. Um, so he drives in two runs. The the, the bottom of the lineup kind of was your only offense right here. Um, so uh, no no big monster hit for David Fry, although <laughs> guy is turning into one of your better hitters in the lineup. Uh, Fry, so remember, we got Fry from the Milwaukee Brewers as the player to be named later when we gave them J.C. Mejia. I don't even know what Mejia is up to at this point. Um, but, uh, Fry wasn't a very highly regarded prospect. Uh, here's what, uh, MLB trade rumor said about him, uh, when we got him. Fry was a seventh round selection of the Brewers in the 2018 draft and immediately saw some action that year in rookie ball and A ball. Uh, they go through his numbers. He's always had a, po- a, a, a positive WRC+. plus. He's always had a WRC+, plus above 100 in his minor league career. Uh, defensively, Fry is quite versatile, often found behind the plate, but also seeing significant time in multiple positions. You know it. You've seen it. Back in December, Fangraphs ranked the 26-year-old as the 33rd best prospect in the Milwaukee system, noting that his power and positional versatility give him the chance to be an interesting bench piece. And that's kind of what he's turning into here for the Guardians. Although, Fry, frankly, it's more every day than a bench piece right now. Like, they're finding ways to get him in the lineup every day. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of when we had Ryan Rayburn here. Remember, Ryan Rayburn had that one good season here where he, he was really versatile off the bench. Like, we played him a ton. And it kind of reminds me of guys like Casey Blake who aren't that impressive, not going to make all-star games, but, man, you need a guy or two like that to kind of round out your team. And maybe David Fry can be that guy. I, I Boy, I really love the idea 
of him uh, being our number two catcher right now. And then when he's not catching, being able to play multiple positions. It's, it's could turn into a very, very successful trade uh, for the Guardians front office. Uh, I know we've been hard on them lately for giving up on some players. But they do tend to find some players every now and then. And we'll see. Very early, Fry is kind of an old prospect at this point. Uh, but he's definitely contributing. That 290 batting average and 811 OPS is no joke. He, he's definitely had some moments offensively. So, um, yeah. So, I... I mentioned that because he had the big home run to tie the game on the Sunday finale in the ninth inning, and I wanted to mention him. He does score uh, a run in this one. Uh, he's one of the guys Straw knocks in, him and Will Brennan. Um, so, yeah, so the Guardians, uh, you know, find a way to, uh, to scratch across a few runs. They make it interesting against Kansas City, but we should not be losing games to Kansas City. Uh, Every game we give up to a team like Kansas City, it's another example of why this might not be our season. And, you know, in the first inning, right, we had our first two guys reach. And I had a thought to myself. Now, Stephen Kwan reaches on one of the most ridiculous plays you will ever see. They call this a fielding error, but the ball literally went through the first baseman's glove. It broke the strings on the glove and went through the glove. And, uh... And Ahmed Rosario singles right behind that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, hey, at least we're a team that makes other teams pay for their mistakes, right? They're going to make a mistake and let our leadoff hitter on. Rosario moves him into scoring position. This is perfect. We're set up for a big first inning. We're going to be one of those teams that makes people pay for mistakes. And instead, Ramirez flies out. Naylor flies out. Bell flies out. Nobody goes anywhere. Nobody scores. And I think to myself, oh, no, we're not. This team is not one of those teams that makes you pay for an extra, giving them an extra out, right, for making those kind of mistakes. We don't make them pay. And uh, we end up losing the game. So uh, I said this in my, like, update episode. But, uh, you know, at this point, I'm not think I'm not thinking about the records. I'm not thinking about where we are in the standings. I just want to see some competitive good baseball. I'm just going to take it one game at a time. Focus on those games. Enjoy the fact that I get to, you know, watch uh, my favorite team play because the more this season goes on, the more it just feels like one of those seasons where you reflect back on it and go like what happened? Like what a step back we took in 2023. That's that's what it feels like. There's still time. And there the other thing we should talk about uh, as we kind of wrap this game up here, uh there's a lot of there's some smoke. There's some steam to the trade deadline and rumors about the Guardians and obviously Bieber being gone takes away a huge part of that. But, you know, Andre Knott was on, like, ESPN Radio talking about, oh, the Guardians, just wait. They've got ideas. There's, there's things, there's there's irons in the fire. There's things cooking. Well, okay, there's a little bit of smoke, a little bit. But I still, I, I don't, I don't know if this is the year for the Guardians to be that aggressive. And if they do, if they do, it's got to be for someone with multiple years of control. 
Because this is not the year where you go out and get a rental piece to make that playoff push. It's not. If you want to improve the roster at the trade deadline, if you want to move one of your middle infield prospects, because there's, like, if they trade Brian Rocchio, you realize there's an insane amount of middle infield prospects behind him. There's already three on your major league roster. Three legitimate, could be the starting shortstop next year prospects on your major league roster. There's, you know, if Rokio is moved out of the system and you get some long-term piece, corner outfielder, uh, who knows, uh, you know, an end-of-the-game relief pitcher uh, with multiple years of control, I'm looking at Pittsburgh for that. If you did move Brian Rokio, uh, you got Martinez, you've got uh, Brito, who we got for the Nolan Jones trade. You got a guy in single A, I think he's in single A, Frias, who seems to be popping up on Guardians Twitter constantly with highlights. There are some names in this organization in the middle of the infield that that position is secure for a long time. And uh, so, yeah, so I I understand the, the right trade right now absolutely could happen. Someone could maybe want to take Gabriel Arias off our hands and, uh, and see what they could do playing him every day. Because uh, clearly he's not getting the opportunities right now. Tyler Freeman, I can't believe they can't find more opportunities for this guy. Why do we have to wait till Sunday? By the way, Sunday's lineup, seeing a lineup without Ahmed Rosario and Miles Straw in it, ooh, that was interesting. That was interesting to me. Um, so Freeman got that start, right, his shortstop. I think he made a good defensive play, right? Am I remembering Sunday correctly? Didn't he make a really nice defensive play there? Um, at shortstop, a backhand play. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of smoke. There's some smoke right now for the trade deadline, but uh, I don't, I don't. The fire ain't too hot yet. Not yet. We're still a few days away from that. Uh, really starting to get going. So, all right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this kind of extended weekend wrap up Cleveland baseball mornings episode. Uh, MVP on the weekend, again, I'm giving it to the morning people. I'm, I, I, I gotta give you again, a big thank you, uh, for reaching out for the support, um, for understanding and for listening all season, for riding with me all season. The audience has continued to grow, which is awesome. You've left so many five-star reviews. So MVP goes out to all the morning people, everybody listening. Thank you. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final. The Royals take game one. Game one. We still can win this series, so hang in there. The Royals take game one, 5-3 to three over the Guardians. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts at the trade deadline here. Let me know your thoughts about David Fry. Does he feel like a long-term fit for us somehow, some way, even at multiple positions? And we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.